Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is A.B. Dawji and this is the big picture broadcasting simultaneously on Radio Islam and Radio Al-Ansar. Alan was Alan. And how is it? Hey, yes, sis. It's been such a long time since I last spoke to you. Let's see, when was the last time? Yeah, it was last year, Mamu. And I'm sure that thousands of people missed me, ne? Eh? Eh? Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a bit, okay? Perhaps hundreds? No? Fifty? I beg your pardon? This Mr. Khan from Mirbank and his dog. Well, that's very depressing indeed. Nevertheless, here I am, like it or not. And just for the record... I didn't miss you a lot also, okay? I didn't miss you. Nope, not one little bit, Mota. I was having Maja in the Middle East. Yes, Egypt, Jordan, Palestine, and Syria. With a wonderfully small group. We had about 116 of us. <laughs> 160, nice small group. Had a really great time, alhamdulillah. Damascus, as I, as always, was fascinating, rich in history and culture, wonderful people, wonderful, all really humble, but suffering very badly because of the, the civil war across the country. High level of poverty, but uh, remarkably, the streets, the streets were buzzing. The Hamadiyya uh, shook a huge, long, amazing arcade with a million shops and packed with people. Actually, life seems so normal in the city. But uh, uh, sadly, sadly, and surely below the surface, there is undoubtedly great suffering. And even worse, beyond the city, uh, out in the countryside, where there is large-scale devastation. Anyway, the guy told us something shocking, shocking that they are suffering electricity load shedding. Can you believe it? eh? Load shedding. (laughs) Sometimes they have power for only two or three hours a day. Wow. eh? What a terrible thing it must be not to have your electricity cut off during the day. (laughs) That's what we're always thinking very quietly. (laughs) Imagine that, eh? my dear listeners. How can people function without electricity? Absolutely shocking. And I'm sure that this can only happen when a country is a, in a situation of war. Yeah. Eh? Anyway, across the border in Jordan, there was a no load shedding problem at all. And uh, because of that, I saw many, many electric cars, electric powered cars, some hybrids, uh, meaning uh, partly petrol driven and partly battery driven. Some were completely, totally electric. My friend Rami had a full electric car, slightly bigger than a Yaris. I think it was a Ford. And very nippy indeed, great for speeding around town. I wonder if this phenomenon, electric cars, will catch on here. And we probably will see lots of electric-driven cars on our roads in the near future. Uh, (laughs) And a short while ago, I just saw a news clip that stage eight load shedding will soon be hitting us. Eh? 
something like 14 hours of load shedding a day. <laughs> well, well, lots of cars will be parked on the side of the roads, Habibi, <laughs> on our roads. Yeah. And, of course, no jumper cables will help you. Anyway, the tour to the Middle East was great, alhamdulillah, with, of course, um, visiting Al-Aqsa. Al-Aqsa was the highlight. Well, just a quick plug with, of course, permission. Pack your bags for a pre-Ramadan trip to Al-Aqsa. Pre-Ramadan. Right before Ramadan, yes. Jordan, Palestine, and Lebanon departing departing on the 5th of March. You got that? And returning six days before Ramadan. So enough time to get your samosas and pies ready. I'll come and help you, okay? But you better hurry for this uh, uh, for this Maja trip because I only have 35 seats booked and the itinerary is coming out inshallah tomorrow uh, and I forgot to mention Jumwa in Al-Aqsa Friday you'll be right there so that's from the 5th of March and returning on the 17th of March and listen to this I'm finalizing the flight I've got so many because tsunami of calls for this year. I'm finalizing the flights for the last uh, 10 days of Ramadan in uh, Palestine. Yes, it's a hotel stay, so you can take your family uh, hotel stay in Jerusalem. Uh, and people have been waiting for that one. So so send a WhatsApp uh, to 082-352-3526. Right? 082-352-3526. Or email me, A-B-I-E at iAfrica. And do that now, right? A-B-I-E at iAfrica.com. And I mean now, Habibi, for a magical journey to the Holy Land. Hurry, hurry. You dos, it's your loss. <laughs> nice variation eh, on the old one. You snooze, you lose. And I forgot to mention a uh, another group of mine went to Magical Morocco, 45 persons, and they and they reported that it was wonderfully exciting, educational, alhamdulillah. And to make your mouth water even further, as I told you, I got loads of calls throughout December. People want to finalize their leave. Doctors want to take locum and all for, for the rest of the year. So I'm busy with all the airlines confirming flights to Vietnam, Bosnia and Croatia, Russia, Morocco, India. Spain, the Middle East tour, Zanzibar, and the new one is Pakistan. And as I always say, you must go to Uzbekistan, Mota. You must go to Uzbekistan before you go to Kabrestan. What an amazing trip. And I don't mean to Kabrestan. <laughs> Uzbekistan, rich in culture and Islamic history, and wonderfully simple and humble people. So watch out for all those tours for the rest of the year. And pack your bags for Majaha, baby, Maja. But let's get back to our wonderful country, South Africa. Oof. So what has been happening while I was away? Everyone was behaving. Nobody was doing nonsense. <laughs> ah, don't bluff, eh? There's never a dull moment here. Never. Never. There's an uh, endless supply of mamparas and some really incredible stories that have us, that will have us screaming with laughter. 
One such story, and a very strange one too, I heard last week when a presenter on uh, our national radio station was speaking to a spokesperson for the police. Now, this police fellow said something, and the radio presenter at first laughed in disbelief and asked the question again, and the answer was the same. And I thought, as I was listening, that the police fellow was smoking something and was talking nonsense. So I googled the whole thing and found out that his statement was actually true. So let me explain. And I have the article in front of me. But first let me add a disclaimer. And perhaps, dear listeners, may I repeat an old English expression, the law is an ass. You may have heard it before. If not, dear children, it's lesson time on the Big Picture Educational Program. Listen carefully, please. Don't. <laughs> uh, and this is directed to the ladies in, in uh, once you've heard what I have to say, in order to bamboozle the bali at lunchtime when, we, when he has a mouthful of acne. All right, so here we go. And this is what I picked up. What is, what's the meaning of the phrase, the law is an ass? The law is an ass is a derisive expression said when the rigid application of the letter of the law is seen to be contrary to common sense. So, what's the origin of the phrase, the law is an ass? This proverbial expression is of English origin, and the ass being referred to here is the English colloquial name for a donkey not the American meaning of that word. Donkeys have a somewhat unjustified reputation for obstinance and stupidity that has given us the adjective asinine. It is the stupid, stupid, stupidly rigid application of the law that this phrase calls into question. It is easy to find reference works and websites that attribute the phrase to Charles Dickens who put it into print in Oliver Twist in 1838, when Mr. Bumble, the unhappy spouse of a domineering wife, is told in court that the law supposes that your wife acts under your direction. And he replies, if the law supposes that, said Mr. Bumble, squeezing his hat emphatically in both hands, the law is an ass, an idiot. Well, there you have it. That's the background. So there you are, folks. Some background information about that expression. May I also add that I have a rather rudimentary knowledge of the law, a remarkable paucity in understanding the subject. <laughs> I checked up all these big words this morning and threw them in just to try to impress you, Habibi. Not quite sure whether they are being used appropriately. But I can see that you are getting restless, Mota. For me to read the article uh, confirming that the police spokesperson said, uh, all right, you're getting restless to hear that. So drink your tea and relax, uncle. Here it is. Right, I'm reading it now. Media statements, South African Police Service, Office of the Provincial Commissioner Limpopo. Um, the police in Drikop outside Burgess Fort have opened an inquest docket after eight suspected illegal miners digging chrome at Gamaroga village died when they were allegedly trapped underground from on Friday 6 January 20, 
2023. That was about a week ago. One South African, three Mozambicans, and four Zimbabweans were allegedly busy with illegal mining activities when the water coming from heavy rains that fell in the area apparently pushed the soil that blocked the only point they were using for entry and exit. They then apparently suffocated. The police were called last night, and on arrival, they reportedly found that the local community members had already dug a hole and gained access to, for, to the miners, and that they had already started retrieving the bodies. Charges in... You've got to listen to this one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a sad story, but this one had me, had me falling off my chair. Charges in terms of the Immigration Act will also be preferred against the seven deceased as they were in the country illegally. A case of illegal mining will also be registered against all of them. The post will be conducted to determine the cause of death. And this uh, comes from Brigadier Motlafela Mojapelo. Did you get that part there? Eh? <laughs> Charges in terms of the Immigration Act will also be preferred against the seven deceased as they were in the country illegally. A case of illegal mining will also be registered against all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I, want, I want to pause there for a moment for you to digest that profoundly bizarre statement that takes uluness to new levels. <laughs> Yes, of course, the death of the miners is sad and tragic, but what do you make of what the police said? <laughs> and so in, in, in the court, when the bodies will be in the dock, the magistrate will say, I, I, I find the accused guilty of the serious crime of being in the country unlawfully and of conducting illegal mining. And therefore, I sentence them to everlasting hellfire, after which they will be deported to their home countries. Court is now adjourned. <laughs> uh, dear listeners, to use a very appropriate Durban expression, hey, what kind of an old lani? <laughs> so let's stay on the local scene, okay? Our Serralbai made two big speeches after he was re-elected president. First at the ANC's elective conference in December, and then at the ANC's um, birthday celebrations at this big stadium. And uh, big, long, sleeping pill speech he made. <laughs> yeah, big, long, as usual. And one sharp columnist, uh, Eusebius MacKaiser said that uh, Rama's speech perhaps unintentionally actually spelled out why we shouldn't vote for the ANC. <laughs> actually, I thought that was, that was true and quite funny. This is what Rama said. Okay. At the, the, his speech. Uh, part of his speech, he said, the ANC acknowledges that we are at a moment of fundamental consequence in the life of our nation. Across the country, the people are going through tough times. They are increasingly losing hope of ever finding employment or setting up 
viable business. And those trying to eke out a living in the informal sector are facing harassment and red tape. The energy crisis undermines economic growth and investment prospects and persistent load shedding destroys businesses and compromises the production of food and the provision of social services such as water, sanitation, community safety, education and health. Increasing lawlessness, criminality and violence creates a situation in which women and children live in fear, not only in the streets of their towns and villages, but also in their homes. Households households are increasingly finding it difficult to meet their most basic needs such as food, transport and energy due to the rising cost of living. More young people are finding themselves in desperate conditions and they end up resorting to alcohol and drug abuse. Many municipalities are failing to perform their basic functions such as delivery of clean potable water, regular waste collection and road maintenance leading to the rapid deterioration of the quality of life of residents. Many communities are severely impacted by climate change which results in extreme weather conditions such as floods, droughts and fire, leading to social displacement and food insecurity. Racism is rearing its ugly head in our national life and threatening the foundations of our constitutional democracy, fueling anger and frustration that can result in retaliatory violence. These multiple crises threaten to erode and reverse the hardened gains of our democracy. You hear that? Wow. Dear listeners, what a confession about the state of the nation, Habibi. It's a speech that maybe uh, Stian Hazen or or Julius could have made. Hmm? The opposition could have made this speech in parliament. And maybe Rama should have ended his, his speech, his words, by adding... And so, my fellow South Africans, we are in this sorry mess because we put nincompoop uh, cadres in top positions to run the country into the ground. If you keep voting for the ANC and expect different outcomes, then you, my dear respected citizens, are first-class mukus. And that's all I have to say. Last one, leaving the room, put the lights off, okay? Uh, Oops, sorry, don't let it switch off. (laughs) Uh, But of course, serious Cyril won't um, finish off his speech like that. What you keep hearing is a headache-inducing appeal. Headache-inducing appeal over and over. We must unite the ANC. Yes! We are a divided party, and so we need to work hard to unite the party. Boss, Habibi, Motabaji, when I hear such bull, I want to either run to the sink to throw up or get under the godras and never come out again. Serious, eh? Serious, Mufedu. Of course, you are divided. You are divided. 
Matamela. Uh, that's uh, actually his real name. Uh, of course, you know that name. Uh, highly knowledgeable people listen to the big picture. Correct? You knew that already. Matamela. Matamela. You want to unite what, my dear Matamela? The two parts that are divided. Hmm? The ANC is divided to two parts. The good guys and the bad guys. The clean mamus and the chorwans. To unite them. Let me give you a graphic example here, okay? If Cyril was a doctor, would he say, Ah, <laughs> yes, I see that the part of the uh, patient's liver has cancer. So, therefore, I suggest that the best treatment is to unite that part of the liver with the rest of the good part. You get my point, Habibi? Stretching it a bit, but yeah, I'm sure you get it. Uh, you got heavy gangrene in your foot. Cut it out before it spreads, and you... Uh, otherwise, you will lose the whole leg. Right. Cut it out. So, Cyril, cut it out with this kind of talk, okay? Take a bold step and push hard to cut out the cancer to save the body, and that body is South Africa. We all have a pretty good idea of the cancerous cells in the party, the African National Chorwans. Take a big scalpel, boss. We are in very desperate times on the SS Titanic. And cut out that statement, we must unite the ANC. Cut out that bull, please. <laughs> and you know what? It thought just occurred to me. Cyril's big business, as you all know, is to sell top-class cattle. Well, it's time that he stopped selling us bull selling bull to the South African public, okay? <laughs> I just Googled Ramaphosa on load shedding. And of course, you can do that also. Ramaphosa on load shedding. And you will come across these newspaper headlines. Uh, 19 hours ago, this was the headline in one media. We, we are doing something about load shedding. One day ago, this was the headline one paper. Ramaphosa says load shedding is regrettable. <laughs> uh, I don't know, that auntie cooking uh, that dal and rice and everything on Friday, and, and halfway through, suddenly, boop, the lights are gone. Tell us. I think she feels very regrettable there. <laughs> and one day ago, one day ago, this was the headline. My hands are tied, says Ramaphosa on nurse's decision to hike electricity price. My hands are tied, said Ramaphosa. Well, here's my suggestion, boss. Tie the hands of the incompetent clowns that are running the country. Please, please, I beg you. Dear listeners, let me explain this with a big picture focus on what's going on. And may I say that I just received a short while ago an article um, earlier this morning from my friend Abdul Majid, and it hits the spot perfectly. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a bit long, but uh, 
Um, well, just because the heavy stuff now we're going to, please don't drift off to the kitchen for more tea. Okay, Mota? Listen carefully. It's shocking. And of course, I can't really vouch for its total accuracy. And I don't even have the name of the author, but it seems totally plausible, credible. But of course, you make of it what you want to. Okay. Right. That's another disclaimer there. So here it is. I'm read out the whole thing. Why Eskom says stage six of load shedding will be implemented indefinitely. It's all very simple. South African coal exports to South Africa coal exports to seven European countries, Germany, Netherlands, Poland, Denmark, France, Italy, and Ukraine increased 800% during first six months of last year compared to the same period in 2021. 800%. These countries previously imported 45% of their coal from Russia, but banned Russian coal following the Russia-Ukraine war. So basically, South Africa coal is used to replace Russian coal while we are forced to have load shedding. Remember that of these European countries, Germany and France have already given South Africa loans jointly to the value of 10 billion for that is for South Africa to shift wind to wind and solar power. Both Germany and France closed their wind farms and reopening previously shut coal-powered energy plants while loaning us money to shift from coal to wind or solar power. ESCOM coal plants have a 92% energy availability factor, while wind and solar have a 25% uh, availability factor. Coal energy production, listen to this, coal energy production costs 5,631 rands per megawatt hour, while wind and solar power cost 18,000 rands per per megawatt hour. You get that? If you use coal, it costs 5,631. If you're going to use wind or uh, uh, or solar, it costs 18,000 rands per megawatt hour. Basically, Europe is loaning us money at an interest uh, to shift from low-cost and highly efficient cold, coal to high-cost and inefficient wind and solar power while they use our coal for their own energy needs. And we are forced with high levels of load shedding as a result. Our coal export to Europe has increased further as these European countries are in winter from November 2022 until April this year, which is when ESCOM is planning to reduce load shedding. Our coal is used by Europeans for their winter energy needs while we are forced to stay in the dark. Yes. Well, you judge about the accuracy of that information, but it is in any case startling. <sighs> so there you are, folks. The question is, what's going on? Are we all being taken for one big ride? Are we being regarded as being idiots? The fat cats, the hyenas, the vultures, in darkened rooms, just laughing at our gross stupidity. You know, I'm starting to think so. That that's how it is, Mamu. So, dear Cyril, Cyril, Matamela Ramaphosa, please act decisively. 
stop this talk about healing the rift. Stop saying the ANC is divided and must unite for the good of the country. Check out the dissidents, the Chorwans, the Laddus, and the Alus, and the Makris. <laughs> ah, that's one from the old days. The Balis will remember it. Makris. The infighting is killing the country. So Matamela, Matamagyu, eh? Kenny. Matamagyu, Kenny. My advice. <laughs> That's Gujarati for my advice. Did it enter your head? Matamagyu, Kenny. One last word about why you are literally in the dark about what's really going on at ESCOM. ESCOM. Just see if I can see the time is right. ESCOM spent in 10 months last year till October, right, last year, to keep the lights on, 11 billion on diesel. 11 billion rands on diesel to keep the engines running. 11 billion rands. That's 3.33 million liters per day, Habibi. 3.33 million liters of diesel per day. But wait, 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 wait. ESCOM buys its diesel from Petro South Africa, where all the fuel companies buy their stocks from. And so taxes are added to the price, and the uh, road accident levy, etc., also added. Uh, and I hope my information is correct. So all these things are added on to the price. Now, ESCOM told the government that it wants to buy diesel directly at wholesale prices without the extra charges. Buy from overseas, buy from whoever is can, can uh, supply. Uh, so that the taxes are out. And so thereby, last year alone, if all the taxes and everything were not charged, it could have saved, saved 3 billion rands. Uh, the head of uh, ESCOM, and that is Andre Direita, says, that the proposal has been sitting on the minister's desk for some time. I read that the minister's office replied saying that the application had some errors in it. Something was quite not, not quite right, so they couldn't action it. They couldn't uh, move forward with it, proceed with it. Good heavens! We are in a national emergency, Habibi. National emergency. A huge crisis... And we get a mockery response from the energy department that the application is faulty in some way. I'm, hey, excuse me. Oh, I'm running for the sink, Mamo. <laughs> to, to, to finish this topic, let me read you some bits of the shocking, shockingly accurate picture painted by Eusebius MacKaiser in his brilliant article, which I spoke about earlier. He says, this is what he says. It is, it is astonishing just how addicted to hubris the ANC is. It doesn't mind telling you more searingly than opposition parties might just how badly it is governing the country because it is confidence that you, dear voter, will not rob them of more opportunity to continue, continue letting you down.
Let's summarize what they concede in their own analysis. They cannot grow the economy. They cannot get young people working. They cannot reduce rampant criminality. They cannot provide energy security. They cannot eliminate hunger. They cannot ensure access to clean water or refuse removal. They cannot attract investment. They cannot respond to the effects of climate change with agility and so on. And the list is endless. And crucially, it is endless by their own admission. The state is a massive job reservation site, especially at senior management and executive level, for the ANC deployees to be rewarded for roles in internal ANC factional battles. Many are incompetent. incompetent. Some of the incompetent ones are also unethical and criminal, a deadly combination that amounts to undermining the foundation, foundations of our constitutional democracy. In the end... The ANC relies on a psychopolitical chokehold over many voters combined with opposition missteps to prop it up. I have no idea who you should vote for. Sorry, dear reader. But I am very clear for myself as a voter that it is not rational to keep doing the same thing and expect different results. If you take democratic accountability seriously, then you cannot reward a government that is a central figure in the story of the making of a gangster state. Huh? Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Killer stuff here from Mike Kaiser. Killer stuff. <laughs> Powerful stuff there, Brazo. Saying it like it is. But is anyone out there listening to him? Dark days ahead, Mamu. Dark, dark days ahead. And that's only, and that's not only about electricity, baby. So let's leave it there and move on to something else. You know, for some time now, uh, there seems to be a warming of relations between Israel and India. People describe this as birds of a feather flocking together in what is described as right-wing fascism. Uh, India, with its rapidly Hindutva ideology on the rise, targeting Muslim citizens, and uh, Israel, with its apartheid Zionist ideology, targeting Palestinians. Hate is at the core of this warped thinking. And it has been dangerous and destructive and murderous. It's a worrying and rising trend. And nothing is being done about it by the international bodies and so on. So I was pleasantly surprised to hear from my friend from Durban, who is now uh, in the United States residing there, and that is Azad Isa. You've, I'm sure, heard of him. You've heard him on my program a few times. A very smart guy. In case you don't know him, here's some background, short TV here about him. Azad Isa is an award-winning journalist and author based between Johannesburg and New York City. He's currently a senior reporter for Middle East Eye covering American foreign policy, Islamophobia, and race in the United States. He's the author, he's the author of the following books, The Muslims Are Coming, Zuma's Bastards, um, and has written for Al Jazeera, the Washington Post, Foreign Policy, and The Guardian. Um, the right. 
having given you his brief CV. Let me just say that, uh, uh, so what's the story here? Well, Azad has written a new book in which he deals with the relationship between India and Israel. And the book is titled Hostile Homelands, The New Alliance Between India and Israel. Right? It's available. Um, it will be available. Let me read the title again. Hostile Homelands, The New Alliance Between India and Israel. And it will be available in paperback. Um, you can get it online from Amazon.com on from February uh, 20th, 2023 onwards. And, and this is what uh, Amazon.com says about the book. It says that it examines the political and ideological links and dovetailing ethno-nationalist projects of India and Israel. Um, it describes the book as being lucid and persuasive. Isa demonstrates that the India-Israel alliance spells significant consequences for democracy, the rule of law, and justice worldwide. Under Narendra Modi, uh, India has changed dramatically. As the world attempts to grapple with its trajectory towards authoritarianism and Hindutva, that is Hindu nationalism, little attention has been paid to the linkages between Modi's India and the government from which it has drawn inspiration, as well as military and technical support. India once called Zionism racism, but as Azad Isa argues, the state of Israel has increasingly become a cornerstone of India's foreign policy looking to replicate the ethnic state in the image of Israel in policy and practice. The annexation of Kashmir increasingly resembles Israel's settler colonial project of the occupied West Bank. The ideological and political linkages between the two states are alarming. The brands of ethno-nationalism are deeply intertwined. Hostile homelands puts India's relationship with Israel in its historical context looking at the original of Zionism and Hindutva. India's changing position on Palestine and the country's growing military-industrial relationship from the 1990s. Those are the comments from Amazon.com about the book, Hostile Homeland. So you can buy it here, right? But this is what you need to do. Of course, you can buy it online. Let me suggest how you can get it here. If lots of people go into our leading bookstores uh, book like uh, Ike's Bookstore in Florida Road, Durban, or Exclusive Books, oh, these are all over the place, uh, in malls and so on, you go in there, or you go to Book Circle Capital in Melville, Johannesburg, or Love Book Books in Johannesburg also, called Love Books, the store, and also Bridge Books, uh, I believe they are also in Johannesburg. You go in there now and tell them that you would like to pre-book. Uh, and the book's title you must give is Hostile Homelands by Azad Isa. Um, that's coming out on February 20th. Right? You want to pre-book. Right? Then if the bookstore sees the demand, that there's quite a demand, it will order lots of copies from the state. So your action will result in more, many more people having access to this book here in South Africa. So, come on, all you armchair WhatsApp uh, activists, get moving, okay, Habibi? The name again, Hostile Homeland, 
by Azad Isa. So let's look at what the time. Yeah, we got a few minutes, so uh, <clears throat> let me leave that there. And uh, some good news. <laughs> With all this load shedding, you can be certain that there's always light at the end of the tunnel. So, what have I got for you today? But before I get to Gulambai and Ronnie's ordeal, let me comment on something I spoke about previously. I think I did speak about it. Memory is going very fast. <laughs> you know, Muslims are always right. Can I repeat that? Muslims are always right. Or to be more precise, Indians are always right. No, seriously, Mamu. I mean it. Indians are always right. I got you mystified there, haven't I? Well, this came to my mind when I had visitors leaving my home. Or when they're leaving your home. I'm sure all of you can relate to this. The guest, maybe the father, will move forward on the sofa and say, Hey, right, 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 it's getting late. Come, come, let's go now. Right, he comes to the edge of the sofa. Then he and his family will stand up. Another conversation for five minutes. Hey, how was Imran's wedding? Eh? You all went, you all went. And then there'll be a discussion about whether the chow was good or not. And how the one auntie wore a dress that looked like dining room curtains. And the uncle who made that silly speech at the wedding. Then again you'll hear, hey, come, 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 let's go. Right. Let's go, right? And then it's outside the front door, in the veranda. More talk. When is Rashida's baby due? Hey, but she's looking like a big popo these days. And she sent a message to everyone that she's, uh, she's having a party when the baby comes and sent pictures from baby land. And what do you think of that? What, what presents we must bring? She put a cross when she sent it to me by the pram. 5,200. <laughs> She got a fat hope. I'm just going to take a pack of huggies. Right, right, right. See you all, eh? Then everyone gets into the car. More. Right, right. <laughs> and some long ones too. Right, right. <laughs> or, or, or a short one. Right, eh? I like that. Eh? Right, eh? At the end. Then as the car moves away, you get a big chorus from the car and from the people waving them off. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and let's not forget the very important two times on the hooter, beep, beep, or pop up as they drive away and wake up the whole neighborhood. Hey, Indians, we will always fight for our rights. <laughs> okay, one final one. Ronnie from Mirbank. He is in ICU again. His friend Gulambai goes to visit him in hospital. Hey, Ron. What happened, eh? What happened this time? Why you got that big bandage on your head? And, <laughs> and Ron replied, Hell, Gulu, what I must tell you, bro? Pushpa and I were shopping at Checkers. I picked up a can of beers and a, a, a case. I picked up a case of beers and put it in the trolley. Pushpa said, What are you doing, Ronnie? I said, uh, they're, they're on special, uh, Pushpa. 50 rands a pack. And she said, put that back. We can't afford it. As we were walking in the aisle, she picked up a big 100 rand jar of face cream. 
I said, uh, what are you doing? And she answered, it's my face cream. It makes me look beautiful. And I answered, so do the two dozen cans of beers. They have the price. Yo, Gulu, the jar of cream came flying and cracked my head open, man. <laughs> oh, well, there you are. That's all I have to for you this week. Inshallah, we'll speak again next week. This is David Dawji bidding you all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.